And dude, we're living in Section 8 housing, eating out of dumpsters because there's not enough food stamps for us to get us through the month. Uh, my dad has like multiple jobs. Like that's how we made it through the first year and a half, two years of this country, man. Wow, it looks like you had a chip on your shoulder. I did. And sometimes it's okay to have a chip on your shoulder. Sometimes you're going to be successful because you want to spite someone, because you just want to show them that you can, because they said that you couldn't. That's okay. That doesn't mean you have to be a spiteful person. Pre-COVID, we were gaining about an average of nine locations a month, just to give you an idea. Starting March of 2020 to March of 2021, in that 12-month period, we gained a total of six. We went from nine a month to a total of six, and we lost 218. If that doesn't create a butthole pucker factor, bro, <laughs> I don't know what does. We turned that corner and made it happen, and that's when I realized I can be a wartime. I'm, I'm a good wartime leader. I'm, I, don't, I didn't just have a 10-year, 15-year run with a rabbit's foot up my ass. Um, I know how to lead a team during the worst of times. And, uh, and it was a good feeling, man. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Pedros. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm finally glad we got to put this together and yeah. have you down here at our studio yeah. and yeah. get into this because you are one of the guests I've been looking forward to for so long just because your background, you didn't come from an eclectic background with a whole bunch of opportunity at your doorstep. Correct. You didn't just hit a home run with your first venture, but you've built quite an empire both personally and now you're giving back in so many ways to help inspire the next generation that to have you here is, it's an honor for me. It's an honor for our audience. And I think you're going to provide so much value. So thank you. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And uh, as you gave us the tour of the whole building and your studio, first class all the way. Well, to quote a quote on our wall, which you'll sign later, Drew Brees has a saying that he put up there, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. And Mm -hmm. while I didn't use it phrased that way, it means so much. And I think that's part of how you become successful is by focusing on the small things. Fact. And yep. we like to deliver that internally and actually eat our own dog food and be the example that we, mm-hmm. that we talk about. So thank you for noticing because yes, that's always great. But I want to start actually for our audience because most people probably know you, the you today with the personal brand, sure. Fit Body Bootcamp, your coaching, um, you know, e- even the new masterminds that you're doing with Dan Fleischman and helping that group. But for those who maybe don't understand your background, you immigrated here at six years old. Yeah. Yeah, immigrated from Armenia, which was at the time part of the Soviet Union. My dad, interestingly enough, was a member of the Communist Party, Uh, not by choice, even though they give you a choice. In 1974, the year I was born, they asked him if he wanted to be a member. Of course, if you say no, they (laughs) ship you off to Siberia, never to be seen again. He said yes. And so, but he despised communism. And so this red passport that you get when you're part of the Communist Party, he put in a drawer, never used it, lived like a regular citizen. Uh, but because of he had connections and access, he was able to make some side money in Armenia and bribe some officials in the Soviet government to allow us to escape into Italy. And then from Rome, Italy, uh, on June 16, 1980, we immigrated legally into the United States. Where did you land in the U.S.? Uh, Southern California. My dad had one friend of a friend who he knew in America. So in Rome, Italy, we went to the American consulate. They pumped my dad for information for 10 days because he was a member of the Communist Party. And, um, you know, they said, all right, where, where do you want to go in the U.S.? He goes, California, uh, Southern California, because I have a friend of a friend. And that friend of a friend let us stay 
he had a two-bedroom apartment. He and his wife um, had one room, and then he gave us, for 30 days, he gave us one of those bedrooms for a family of five. So my me, my brother, my older sister, my mom and dad stayed in one bedroom for 30 days. He said, after that, you guys were on your own, which was great. By that point, we went into uh, Section 8 housing, government-assisted housing out here, and um, you know, lived off food stamps and... That story is interesting because you are told by your mom and dad when you're a kid. I'm the baby of the family, right? So my older brother was 19. My sister was 21 when we came here. I was you six. Were six. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I was the oops baby in the family. <laughs> so, so, you know, you're told like, all right, we're leaving Armenia. We're, you know, and I liked Italy. Rome was beautiful. I ate my first banana in Italy and I was like, oh, this is fucking delicious, right? And we're like, we're going to an even better place. I'm like, where? They're like, America. And, you know, they dis- the way they described it was store shelves are never going to be empty again because that's what we would see in Armenia in a communist country. Like, there's no snow where we're going to. There's none of this stuff. And so we get here, and, dude, we're living in Section 8 housing, eating out of dumpsters because there's not enough food stamps for us to get us through the month. Uh, my dad has, like, multiple jobs, like, passing out newspapers, pumping gas at a gas station. Um, they, they found this, that the grocery stores would throw away food that was expired, but not necessarily gone bad yet. Being the smallest one in the family, my dad would lift me up into those blue dumpsters and I'd fish out expired bread, expired cheese, expired ham. And we'd take it home. My mom would give it the smell test. She's like, it's good to go. And you ate it. And we ate it. That's, that's how we made it through the first year and a half, two years of this country, man. Wow. And what was the... What was the turning point for your family at that phase? Like, how did it go from that to, how did you get out of that sphere? Because that's a sphere that I think traps yeah. a lot of immigrants. Yeah. So my dad was a tailor in Armenia. And, you know, when, in a communist country, everybody works for the government. So I, all the businesses belong to the government for the most part. And he was a tailor. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go to America. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. He knew that. Yeah. And he, so, like, did he even know what entrepreneurship was? He knew he wanted his own business and that in the United States, you can do that. Okay. I remember, Jeff, I remember my dad listening to the Beach Boys, to Elvis. He had Ray-Ban sunglasses, Jordache jeans, Adidas shoes in Armenia. Again, being a member of the Communist Party, he had access to clothes that were westernized clothes, western music. The guy was like an American through and through, Uh living in a communist country, almost like he was born in the wrong country. And so he's like, I'm getting the hell out of here. And so he studied a lot about the United States. Did he speak English when he arrived? No. Not no, a word. Not a word. None of us. None of us. So I was in ESL, English as a second language. My brother, my sister, my mom and dad took ESL. Uh, and back then, I think the like local junior colleges offered it for free. Elementary school offered it. So, And, and to young entrepreneurs listening and young adults listening, back in the 80s, there was no YouTube. No. There was no internet. No. There was no Rosetta Stone. Yeah, there was Encyclopedia Britannica, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. whatever information you can get from a neighbor. Yeah. And, and we had, didn't have access to Encyclopedia Britannica because right. right. you know, we're living in Section 8 housing. So, But, um, man, it, it was an interesting upbringing because you're told one thing, that this is what the United States is going to be like. But then for that year and a half, two years, you're living in different Section 8 housing complexes. One of them was so filthy, in fact. Uh, my room had lice in it. And I got lice. At that time, we still, my mom and dad were counting the pennies, so they couldn't afford to buy lice treatment. My mom had my dad siphon out gasoline from a parked car, and she washed my hair with gasoline. Didn't that burn your scalp? Uh Uh-uh. No. Wow. No. And 
I remember in Armenia, she was telling me, keep your eyes closed, stay doubled over. She washed my ha- hair with gasoline, and then she rinsed it out with water. Uh, but that saved us, whatever, I don't know, two, three bucks, whatever it cost for a life treatment. But that's how tight our budget was. But my dad saved every penny he could, and he bought a little tailor shop in Anaheim, California from this degenerate gambler. And he had gambled away so much money that he lost his store, was in the process of losing his little tailor shop. And my dad bought it from him. It turns out the guy had a bad reputation. So my dad bought a business that was in the deficit, but 13 hours a day, six days a week, that business ended up getting him a house, uh, one rental property, uh, paid off a lot of the debt that we had acquired. Yeah, yeah. He managed his money well and he taught us entrepreneurship. In that process, your brother and sister being already over the age of 18, did they stay with the Nucleus family for a long time or did they end up branching off to try to seek opportunity? They ended up branching off pretty quick. I think within the first three years, my dad was like, I got to get this girl married. You know I mean, like <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, well, one, in the Armenian culture, people marry early, especially like your daughter. You don't want her to be long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's not how I see it today. Just for the record, I don't need people reaching out to you and me telling me that's, you know, but the reality is. But it was is, a different time in 1980s. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, hey, if, 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 if she can find a good husband, a good Armenian husband out here, it's one less mouth I got to feed. Yep. Right. I mean, the man's worried about that. Um, my brother went on to, um, you know, like paint homes and stuff with, with a friend. He, he met a friend um, and, and he did that. But yeah, the older brother and older sister did everything they could to be less of a burden as quickly as possible. And yeah. as a young kid going through this, did you develop even a little bit of like a victim mindset, uh, a jealous mindset of your peers that you were seeing in the schools that maybe didn't have the same rough upbringing, didn't have the same challenge that your family was going through? Or did you even have the ability to understand that? Yeah, it, it wasn't such a victim mindset and or, or a jealous mindset. What it was, though, is... Um, and I said, my dad had three jobs. He worked at a gas station. He had a paper route, like at two in the morning. And then this other third job that he had was he worked at a pizzeria in the back. Um, and like, we're, we're talking about getting paid below minimum wage, like under the table cash. Mm-hmm. Cause we hadn't gotten our green card yet. We were yep. in the process of getting our green card. And, um, so he got my sister a job there too, as a waitress and the, guy that owned that little pizzeria was very suggestive with my sister, was very foul with my sister, was uh, sometimes a little too hands-on with my sister. And my sister would come home crying like two, three times a week, telling my dad, like, this guy's a jerk, this guy's an asshole. And my dad's like, I know this, but if you just stick it out for another month, right? Now, when you're six years old, you see your older brother out there doing multiple jobs, your sister going to um, ESL, and has having multiple jobs, your dad, multiple jobs. What I did feel was helpless and that I wanted to do something, right? At this point now, I'm like going on seven years old. And I remember one day my sister was just like, I can't do it. I can't work there anymore. And I went up to her and I think this was just as I look back now uh, and having worked with a therapist about all this shit, I look back, I wanted to help her some way. And I said, when I'm older, I'm going to make so much money, you'll never have to work again. In my little dude brain, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that's going to solve her problem now. Right. I had another 15, <laughs> 20 years to go, right, before I made any decent money. Uh, but the good news is she's been working for me last 15 years from home. 
uh, makes a very good salary uh, and does uh, pretty much nothing. So that dream that you had, that vision, actually yeah. materialized into reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, did, it probably stuck with you yeah. throughout your whole childhood. Yeah, it, it did. And that became my thing. Like when things got tough, why do I want to be an entrepreneur? Because I got to make a lot of money because I made a promise to my sister when I was six and a half, seven years old. Um, so sometimes, you know, people go, wow, it looks like you had a chip on your shoulder. I did. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's okay to have a chip on your shoulder. Sometimes you're going to be successful because you want to spite someone because you just want to show them that mm-hmm. you can, because they said that you couldn't. That's okay. That doesn't mean you have to be a spiteful person, but it does mean that if God gave us all these different emotions, happiness, greed, you know, obsession, anger, rage, love. These are tools in a toolbox. And sometimes, like during the pandemic, I used a lot of anger and rage to push my businesses forward because I was so upset with the government and what they were doing to humanity. Does that mean that I'm an angry and upset person organically in life? No, not necessarily, but it's a tool that I needed at the time. Well, controlling emotion is the the success factor Mm -hmm. there, right? Because having emotion and recognizing how to use it effectively, it's when you allow your emotion to control you. Right. Things go way out of whack. Correct. No matter, even a good emotion, like Correct. love. People do crazy things for love. Right. Murder. They, they will murder for love. They will murder for love. Yeah. They will do crazy things with anger. Mm-hmm. But if you can control it, yeah, you can apply that pressure yeah. and those, that power, that chip mm-hmm. to something positive. And I think our mutual friend, Tim Grover, who was on this show uh, in his book, Relentless, talks about that. He, he told Dwayne Wade that if you can take this anger and rage that you have and you can control it and bring it to that court for those 48 minutes, you will be a champion mm-hmm. instead of constantly sitting in the foul box, right? So it's a great example of like a someone who's like an amazing trainer and coach to the biggest pro athletes on the planet. And when I read that, I was like, dude, that's exactly it. Like if, as long as you you can weaponize your rage, your anger, love, whatever emotion and keep it under control, you can produce a massive outcome. Same with dreams. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, where a lot of, People struggle. They have great dreams, yeah. but they live in their dream instead of figuring out how to make Oof. that. Like that kid that you were when your dream was to make enough money to help your sister. Yeah, You said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go make a lot of money. You built a plan to execute that dream. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's another one that we fall victim as a society to not controlling. It's yeah. great to have dreams, but dreams without action is nothing. It's yeah. a hope. Yeah, And that's not, that's not a strategy. No. Hope is never a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Well said. So- it, did, it wasn't always just easy for you, though. You didn't just magically become this successful entrepreneur mm, because no. your first venture was a supplement company. Yeah. Yeah, my first venture was TotalMuscle.com back in 1997. I think Al Gore had just duct taped the wires together and made the internet. Yeah. I mean, he says he created the internet, so we have to believe him, right? Right. But, right. Uh, the intranet, I think. The intranet, yeah. Right. But in 1997, I started TotalMuscle.com, had a website made. Um, I'm going to tell you a funny story about this. So you you remember AOL dial-up. Of course. Right? The sound is – you answer the, the phone. Scree- yeah. yeah. <laughs> the screeching sound. Oh, God. Yeah. Back down. Right. You just kicked me <laughs> off of the interwebs, right? And so I had AOL. I'd get those disks that had like 1,500 free hours of mm-hmm. internet. So I'd log on and I had my, my username to AOL. And back then, you could search – all people that are on AOL on America Online and say, for example, show me all men who are between this age group that are into weightlifting or bodybuilding or fitness. And so 
We're talking 97, bro. I would find them. AOL would go, here's all these guys. I'd email one at a time, cut and paste an email that I'd written. Basically, hey, man, I work out. I live too. Uh, why buy supplements at a store where they kind of raise the prices because they have to you know, pay for rent and all this stuff. I just ship out directly to you and you can save a lot more money. Here's the link, totalmuscle.com. And then next email. And my goal was, I worked at Disneyland back then and I was a busboy. My goal was to send out 250 emails every night. And then the hope was I would wake up <laughs> to an order or two, right? And so one of my first, not first, probably second or third order was like this $1,500 order. Just to give you an idea. Which is a lot. Bro, back then, right? And remember, there was no Google, there's no Facebook to advertise. And so like, that's that's it. And there's no email marketing, like Mar Post or Active Campaign mm-hmm. to send out a broadcast. I'm cutting and pasting and like changing their name and putting their name in it. And I think it's so important to specify, no one's behavior was to even check email regularly. No. Like, this was a new novel thing. Yeah, novel. It was a novelty. It was. People were saying the internet's going to go away. Yeah, like why would you send an email? Right. I remember my mom saying that to me when I was like, hey, right. mom, have you built an email address yet? And she's like, why would I send an email? Yeah. Paper lasts. Yes. <laughs> And I what wanted, is this? Like, yeah, it was just like foreign. And so I think like order number one was like a $48 thing of protein and creatine. And then order number two was like, whatever, 25 bucks of whatever. And then a 15, order number three, $1,500, right? I'll never forget. It was an address in Texas um, that it was shipping to. The address for the credit card was like somewhere like in Utah or Idaho, one of those. And Dude, I wanted to pride myself. Like, I'm going to box this thing up first thing in the morning. I'm going to drive it to UPS, ship it out, and they're going to be blown away how quickly they get this thing. And then I'm going to go to Disneyland and work, right? So as soon as the order comes in, like in the middle of the night, first thing in the morning, I'm packing it up, like $1,500. Like, I'm rich now. (laughs) I'm rich. I go to UPS, send it out. About two weeks go by. There's a chargeback. And turns out that was a stolen credit card. There was no AVS, address verification mm-hmm. service, and any of this whole, like, you know, where they text you on Shopify and you enter the code and you, okay, you are who you are, you say you are. And so I sent out, so my cost would have been probably about, if it was a $1,500 order, probably $900 worth of supplements. So my margins there would have been about 600 bucks. I lost it all. Mm-hmm. And I had to give the 1500 bucks <laughs> away that I didn't have. And I realized, like, that put me... That was it. It was over. Yep. Total muscle was dead. And I fucking supplements expire, bro. So you can't send out old supplements. So between turnover and, you know, random chargebacks, I was like, this is a broken business model. I'm done with it. That's but I wasn't done with the internet or being an entrepreneur. Just that first business model was god awful. How did you even find a place to co-pack or manufacture supplements without the internet to find the co-packers or the or manufacture supplements? I didn't I didn't do all. It was all brand name supplements. Designer protein yep. like IsoPure. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't EAS. your own. No. No. I I I was buying it from Europa. Yeah. The same uh distributors that supplement companies or supplement stores would buy it from. The difference is I was storing it in my mom's bedroom, like <laughs> in my spare bedroom, right? And so I didn't have a uh, what do you call it? A lease to pay. I didn't have employees to pay. I, I was it. Yep. And so to me, it made sense that I can sell the same designer brands for less. I just didn't get enough volume and there wasn't enough technology to, you know, keep the credit card numbers safe mm-hmm. and accurate. So 1997, it died. Correct. The same year it was built. <laughs> yeah. And you're still working at Disneyland. Do you remember what you were making at Disneyland at the time? Uh, 1350 an hour as a bus oh. boy. That's yeah. really good, actually. Yeah. Disney paid well, bro. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, wow. I was and I, I had making... stock options. Uh, up to 5% of my 
check could go towards Disney stock, and I had maxed that out. I was working at Pozzo's Pizza in 1997, making five seventy five an hour. Holy <clears> crap. <throat> which was minimum wage. Yeah. Plus tips. Sure, sure. But I remember because of, to go into a movie was five twenty five, and I remember I could take, with two hours of work, I could take my girlfriend to a movie. There you go. That's how I still remember Isn't what I Isn't that funny made. how the, the math we do as young men? Yes. <laughs> it's like, what can I get her for this? Yes. Yeah. I know I have Friday night coming. Yeah. Do I make enough? Right. As an entrepreneur, I know how meaningful it is to invest in the people and causes that are close to me. And on GoFundMe, it's easy, safe, and powerful to do just that. Whether you're supporting a family member, friend, local business, or charity. And whenever you make a donation, you're protected by the GoFundMe giving guarantee. Visit GoFundMe.com today to help make a positive difference in your community. Hey, fitness fans, ready to crush your fitness goals? Make your move to EOS Fitness, where becoming a member starts at just $9.99 a month. Gyms are open 24-7 and packed with the latest gym equipment to keep your workouts fresh. What are you waiting for? Give them a call, drop by, or hit up jefffenster.com forward slash EOS to join. EOS Fitness, better gym, better price. Now, let's get after those goals. What happened next? You stayed at Disneyland for a while. Yeah, stayed at Disneyland for a while. Started started thinking that all right, let me let me try my hand at working as a personal trainer in a gym. Like I know I like fitness; it's my thing. Let me work as a personal trainer in the gym, and that's when I decided that I was going to open up some gyms. Actually, one of my personal training clients, Jim Franco, was like, "How much are you making at this LA Fitness?" So I was working at Disneyland. And LA Fitness. And you got the certification to be the personal trainer? Yeah, got ACE certified. Yeah. And actually, they're located right out here in San Diego, ACE, American Council on Exercise. And, you know, you study the book, you go take the test, and that's that. Today, it's probably all online. But um, he, Frank, Jim Franco was one of my four personal training clients. I would complain to him that it's, like, so hard to sell these personal training packages. And when I do, I get 10% commission plus $12 an hour that LA Fitness would pay me. The gym would get majority of that money. And so Jim Franco, my personal training client, was like, well, why don't you open up your own personal training studio? I'm like, man, I don't know how. Like, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I tried the supplement thing online. It didn't work. He goes, if you can find like a 3,000, 4,000-square-foot facility, I'll help you with your first location. I'll loan you 50 grand, uh, be your 50% business partner, and you'll pay me back at 8%. Knowing what I know now, I would have never never taken those terms. Well, back then, 8% was actually not terrible. It wasn't terrible. I mean, it's not terrible in today's environment either, right. unfortunately. But The problem was, after paying him back, he's yeah. still 50, my 50% business It's, it's definitely Shark Tank. He Shark Tanked me, yeah. which was great. I love the guy. Like He's been like my rich dad, right? Yeah. Poor dad, rich dad. Yeah. And so I said, sure, fine, fantastic, let's do this. And I he helped me open up my first gym, uh, actually, right here off the seventy eight. You know, I used to live in San Marcos, yep. California at the time and, and uh, right here off the 78. And it was successful. My best lead generation strategies were lead boxes inside of all fast food restaurants. Because I figured out very quickly when I put these lead boxes in health food restaurants. What's a lead box? So great question. If you're like 40 and older, you might remember a lead box. Uh, I don't know if they have them in stores now. But you walk into a store. It's a little box sitting on a counter for another business that says, you know, uh, win one week of free personal training, just put your name, uh, email address, phone number, and do you want to lose weight, gain weight, or other? And then they would fill out 
It's a remember. form they fill I do out. remember. It's the acrylic thing. It had the little pencil, and you fill out the paper, and you fold it and yes. stick it in. Yes. I didn't know that was called a lead box. Lead box. I'm 40 exactly. So I remember. Okay. I just didn't know okay. what it was called. Yeah, yeah. That's called a lead box, yeah. right? And so, and so if, at first, I put all these lead boxes out, maybe like 20 lead boxes in health food stores, came back a week later to check. It's almost like fishing. You put all these poles in the water, and you come back and check. Like, okay, well, there's like two leads in, the, in each box, and they're not even that good. Like, these are all healthy people, Right. I realized I know what I need to do. I need to put it into unhealthy restaurants. Like people go and eat burgers and tacos and fried fish tacos and whatever. They feel guilty. Bro, when I put it, put the lead boxes in unhealthy places, and I think from out of guilt, they're ordering pizza, but they're going to, I'm going to apply for personal, free personal training. My leads like quintupled. Like it was just bananas how many leads I was getting. Some of those leads were stupid. Like, you know, it says check off if you want to lose weight, um, gain muscle or other the other would be like, I want a bigger penis, right? So whatever, about half the leads were just stupid. Sure. But the other half were legit. And I would call and say, hey, you know what? You got a free week. That means you get three free personal training sessions. So everybody won the free week. And then on the strength of that three personal training sessions, we would sell them a six or 12-month package, anywhere from two, three, or four times a week program. And once I had nailed down that process, now it was time to scale. That was my first experience in scaling. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, Jim, I think I'm doing well here. I'm going to open up location two. He's like, do you need a partner? I'm like, nope. <laughs> I got this, right? So he was my business partner in Premier Results. My At the time, that was the name of my gym's out here. And then I opened up location two. Where was location two? Location two was Kearney Mesa. Okay. Location three was Murrieta. So off the 15, yep. going the other way, right? Um, location four uh, was, sorry, we had, I lived in San Marcos, Escondido, and then Vista. And so I kind of had the 78 covered on both ends, and this worked out really well. Yeah. It was all one-on-one -on -one personal training, 30-minute sessions. And you were hiring trainers. I was hiring trainers. Yeah, they weren't paying me rent. I would do exactly what LA Fitness was doing to me. Yep. I had a, a manager in every location doing sales, and the personal trainers would deliver the results. And then if they can resell Jeff on a – six-month package because they were really good. Now they'll get a commission, yep. right? Otherwise, they're getting an hourly, and that was that. Every location had 10 to 15 personal trainers, and there we went. And then a brand called Crunch Fitness that wasn't that popular back then was coming through San Diego. Now, I got to tell you something. Like This is, again, for entrepreneurs. Back then, the early, late 90s, early 2000s, personal training was sold by one session at a time, five-session blocks, you're a baller if you can sell a client 10 sessions and then they're going to use it how they want, right? Well, I learned from LA Fitness that I can sell a six-month membership three times a week, four times a week, 12-month, and so I did that. The only reason Crunch Fitness was interested in buying me out was not because of our brand that we had built in San Diego, our receivables. Those subscriptions. The subscriptions, right? That's exactly. Smart. And so Jim Franco, when I told Jim Franco, I'm like, Jim, this company's coming through and they want to buy us out. He's like, no kidding. That's great. He goes, that's because your business has legs. And I'd never heard that term before. I go, what do you mean legs? He goes, you can sell once and collect money over and over again until that term runs out. And he owned a software company, so he was very familiar with that. Yeah. Um, and dude, once I realized the value of recurring revenue and subscription, now nine, eight of my nine companies are all subscription-based. Because of the legs. Yeah, they've got, it's got legs. And you took a business that didn't traditionally have subscription and implemented it. Yeah. And Which everybody mean, said this will never work in the personal training industry. 
I went from 60 minute workouts to 30 minute sessions, still charging 60 minute prices, mm -hmm. right? And when clients would have indigestion about it, I'd say, look, we just give you the same results in half the time. So you win 30 minutes back. And right. that was the script I had taught. It's actually, it's a good line. Right? Yeah. Like who doesn't want more time back? So we're charging. Like four minute abs. Four minutes. <laughs> you know, if you can give it to me in four minutes, I want it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Four minute abs. And so that worked out well. Subscription worked out well. Um, and, and the industry, in fact, I applied to speak at the NSCA. NSCA is another certification organization, NSCA um, conference. And they sent me a rejection letter. And I had applied to speak on business development for personal trainers. And they're like, got to talk about posterior chain. You got to talk about like knee mobility. I'm like, we're all well-educated mm -hmm. on this stuff. And we're all broke personal trainers that have three other side jobs. Like I figured out how to make money as a personal trainer, like a lot of it, right? They rejected my, my request to speak. So then I applied at the IDEA World Conference, which is also based out of San Diego. Uh, I forget what IDEA stands for, but it's the Fitness World Conference. Again, they reject me. I apply for the uh, URSA. Now, it's a health club thing, right? I'm like, surely health clubs, they have personal training departments inside. They're going to want to know this. They rejected me. So th th there's something beautiful about just beating your own path, going from 60-minute sessions to 30-minute sessions, going from you know small blocks of training packages to like selling subscriptions. I've always gone against what majority has said was this is how we do things in the industry. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm going to try something different. Um, and Fresh eyes and disruption. Yes. Bro, once I got rejected three times, I'm like, okay, they obviously don't want personal trainers to be successful. They just want you to know where the muscle inserts originates mm -hmm. and the ATP system and how creatine functions in your body. I don't give a fuck about how much money you make. So I created this event called Fitness Business Summit. And my whole copy was, I'm assuming you're a really good personal trainer. You've been certified through all these different organizations. You keep getting certified thinking this one more certification is going to make you rich and teach you how to get more clients. It's not. You're just over-certified, but you're undereducated as an entrepreneur. Fitness Business Summit assumes that you're great at what you do. You just don't know how to market, sell, scale. And I'm going to teach you that. Within three years, I had 1,500 attendees Come wow. to this. What would, it, what would it cost me as a trainer to come? Um, I wasn't smart enough to have different levels of, of selling seats. I, I think the first FBS in 2007 was 199 bucks. Okay. And then it scaled to like 450 bucks at its peak. I ran that for 11 years. And what's great is whether you realize it or not, you're also building a community. I had no idea. Yeah. And I was building a community. You were building a community. Before social media. Yeah. Before community building was a thing. Mm -hmm. and, and a brand. And a brand. Your own personal brand, but yeah. also the summit. Yeah. And I had no idea. Later, Idea wanted to buy the summit. How funny that, <laughs> of right? Course. They were like, you got to come to speak at our event. I'm like, aren't you the guys, <laughs> the one that sent me this paper letter of rejection? Right. Uh, we couldn't get the deal, so we couldn't agree on the pricing and the terms, and so I didn't sell them a fitness business summit. But, um, dude, I built a personal brand, and later the people that would come to fitness business summit ended up being my early adopters of Fit Body Bootcamp mm -hmm. of our franchise. And what was the transition from your gym, your original gyms, to Fit Body Bootcamp? So once I sold Premier Results, you did end up selling it. To, yeah, to Crunch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once I sold Fit Body uh, uh, Premier Results. Um, by this point now, we're talking like early 2003, 2004, and I realized, okay, I can do coaching and consulting for personal trainers. So I was now a coach and a consultant. Mm -hmm. I started my coaching consulting and consulting um, experience early because I just built and sold five gyms. And 
I also realized that as I'm doing the coaching and consulting, this is awesome, but I have nothing that I can sell. I liked how it felt to sell something, to build and sell something. But as a consultant, like you're yeah. in, you can't you're, sell. You're, you're selling your time. Yeah. And so the whole time, like waiting, like what do I got to sell something? I got I got to build something to sell. Well, the housing market crashes in 2008. All my coaching clients were dudes and dudettes that owned gyms, three to 4,000 square foot gyms, did one-on-one personal training like I did. And I was teaching them how to build and scale and have multiple locations and go to an exit. But if you remember back then, there was boot camps that were taking place mm-hmm. in the parks. And personal trainers always looked at boot camps like the redheaded stepchild, right? Like it's called personal training for a reason. I can't tell you how many personal trainers have told me that. It's called personal training for a reason. And like, let me tell you something. A pro NFL coach can take a Super Bowl winning team and train them in a group. Mm-hmm. You're telling me we can't take fat little Mrs. Jones, who's like, doesn't know how to eat right, is sucking down 1,200 calories from Starbucks, and you, we can't train her in a group environment, yet these pro athletes can? Right. Like, personal training is a broken model. The housing market had crashed in 2008. All of a sudden, all those gym owners lost like half their clients. That means I lost them as my coaching clients. I'm like, holy shit, I'm not about to go live on my parents' couch with my wife and kids, right? And so I'm like, what if I take this outdoor boot camp, bring it indoors, and now we do group training, and we make the cost of personal training more affordable and convenient because mm-hmm. now Mrs. Jones and 20 other Mrs. Joneses can work out at 5 a.m. instead of just, oh, sorry, the 5 a.m. time is taken by Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Smith. you got to do 5.30, right? So I made personal training more affordable and convenient. And I did it by opening up my first location in a gymnastics school because they're empty in the mornings. Yeah. Kids don't go to gymnastics till after school. And they have that carpet bonded foam, which we were just talking about earlier. In fact, till today, Fit Body Bootcamp has carpet bonded foam, the same carpet bonded foam you'll find in gymnastics centers. And that's our nod to our heritage where we come from uh, because that's where I started. And I was like, hey, can I pay you guys five grand a month? to use your gymnastics center. I'm going to bring some battle ropes. I'm going to put some TRXs on the wall, uh, but it's not going to be intrusive to what you guys are doing. Bring some dumbbells in these plastic crates and I'll just shove them all in the corner. They go, yeah, sure. Pay us five grand. Like it's yeah, a home run for, for them. them. Yeah. yeah. They're monetizing a, a window of time that they couldn't before. Bro, within like two months, we were making 15 grand a month on reoccurring, right? Charging uh, one ninety nine a month for unlimited boot camp sessions. Mm-hmm. Th- again, 30 minute sessions now, we've got groups of 15 to 25. I'm like, I think I can open a one up in a storefront. This will work. So I open one up in a storefront. It works. So then by 2010, I go, we're gonna license this licensing program. I had no idea what a franchise was. I'd eat at a franchise, Subway sandwiches. I would get my oil changed at a franchise, Jiffy Lube, but I had no idea sure. that I could open up a franchise. So. By this point, 2010, 2011, remember, I had all that audience, the gym owners. I'm like, guys, one-on-one personal training is dead. The economy, the housing market's crashed. We got to all pivot. You can't do outdoor boot camp in Minnesota. It rains, it snows. You got to bring it indoors. You got to have equipment. You need structure. I've created that and I've proven that twice. And so we launched Fit Body Boot Camp as a licensing program. But back then, CrossFit was also doing an affiliate program, which is licensing. And I noticed that CrossFit's, they, they would open two of them up right across the street from each other. And it was literally duke it out, survival of the fittest. And I was like, well, I don't want my licensees to duke it out. So I'm going to give every licensee a five-mile protected territory. And dude, just to show you like how ignorance is bliss. Like if anyone watching or listening to this is like, um, I got to figure it all out. No, you don't. Because 
I remember giving our Huntington Beach Fit Body Bootcamp location a five-mile radius. Bro, two and a half miles of it was in the fucking Pacific Ocean. I wasn't even smart enough to go like, here's what your radius needs to look like because you're on the ocean, right? And so you don't have to be that smart. You just have to move and pivot, move and pivot. So I have like 85 locations, licensed locations at this time, giving them protected territories because I don't want them to fight each other like CrossFit's. The great state of California reaches out to me. Like, hey, yeah, you're a franchise. You're a franchise. I'm like, I am? No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, what is a franchise? Never heard of this yeah. thing, right? Like, yeah, you're, you checked off the box of operating like a franchise when you started to give protected territories. I'm like, okay, so what do I do? Like, well, $2,500 lo- uh, fee yeah. times 80 some odd locations. I'm like, look, I'm going to go bankrupt if you do this. I can't afford that. And these 80 some odd locations that are open now or about to open are not going to have a coach to mentor them. So surprisingly, I don't know if California would do this today, but back then, 2011, they were like, all right, don't pay the fees, but don't sell another location until you become a franchise. FTDs, franchise lawyers, legal documents. Standard operating procedures. Standard operating, yep. All of it, right? So I didn't know. So I was like, okay, got it. $87,000 later. And almost 12 months later, you know this, yep. I'm now a franchise. Yay. So 20, late 2012, we become a franchise. And so then I turned turn to all my licensees. I'm like, will you guys sign this franchise agreement? And they do. And immediately we become one of the fastest growing franchises overnight. Yep. So now we're getting accolades by like Inc. 5000 magazine, entrepreneur. Like, So this is why I sometimes was like, I think I have a rabbit's foot up my ass, right? Because just- what was supposed to be a disaster, I pivot, 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 beg and plead, figure it out, stay up late at night trying to figure out what franchising is, and then somehow it works out. But well, I realized it's also work. And it's <clears throat> it's the consistent effort every day. You just yeah. said it. I move and pivot. I move and pivot. There yeah. was never a moment where you said, let me just sit here and hope it works out or, no. oh, I'm so sorry, guys. It, it's a failure. You kept moving like yeah. water and water will find cracks. Water will find – oof, I love that. Water will find cracks. And God knows I found the cracks, bro. And – that, that led to, you know, so about two-thirds of my licensees converted almost instantly within like a 30, 40-day period. So we started getting accolades like, wow, this company, Fit Body Bootcamp, comes out of nowhere, this franchise growing like a weed. And so we got more franchisees on board. Uh, but that's how Fit Body Bootcamp kind of came to be. And today it's this international brand. 600-plus locations. Yeah, across U.S. and Canada and growing. But yeah. again, <clears throat> success is great things happen, COVID mm-hmm. occurred, and you lost over 200 gyms. Yeah, we had a, a massive contraction in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, 218 locations we lost. And our cadence of adding gyms, uh, so we were adding pre-COVID, we were gaining about an average of nine locations a month, just to give you an idea. During the entire year of 2020, starting March of 2022, March of 2021, in that 12-month period, we gained a total of six. We went from nine a month to a total of six, and we lost 218. If that doesn't create a butthole pucker factor, bro, <laughs> I don't know what does. Yep. The P, the two PPP loans that we from the government, we got and used up, like it evaporated before it hit the bank account. Yep. The SBIL loan or whatever that is, where it's the bigger yeah, loan they- for a longer period of time, burnt through that. I'm looking around like, what do I have to sell? Kidneys, 401ks. Okay, dump the 401ks. Got it. What else? Those two rental properties I own, dump them. Like, I knew that if I can get onto the other side of this franchise or of this uh, pandemic, 
that Fit Body Bootcamp will survive. But I'm like, now I've gone to war. I've become the virus against the virus. Like I had just this, I'm going to go to war and someone's going to die. Either the virus or me, but it's not going to be me. Yep. So I sold my pro rental properties that I had at the time, uh, whatever I could. And what I didn't want to do was dilute my, my equity because we did have potential investors come to me and offer me, as you can imagine, pennies on the dollar. And I sure. did not take offense to it. Like some of them were pretty good friends. And I did not take any offense to I mean, it because- You have to be a savvy investor to be an investor. Correct. And so if you can get a good deal and strike when there's blood yeah. on the street, yeah. then strike. Yeah. They know They know they. it's a good operator. Yeah. Like, okay, B is a good operator. He's just going through hard times. He's running out of money. Hey, would you like to, you know, what if we give you 11 million for X percentage of Fit Body Bootcamp? I was like, no thanks. I'm good. I'm yeah. good. I'll yeah. figure it out. And then I panically went and tried to find the cracks as water would. <laughs> And, uh, but, but we did, and thankfully we were able to turn a corner and we went to our location owners and we're like, Hey, do you want to buy a third, fourth, fifth location? And then we started looking for multi-outlet owners, et cetera. But we turned that corner and made it happen. And that's when I realized I can be a wartime. I'm, I'm a good wartime leader. I'm, I don't, I didn't just have a 10 year, 15 year run with a rabbit's foot up my ass. Um, I know how to lead a team during the worst of times. And, uh, and it was a good feeling, man. Yeah. And it's impressive. I mean, what I love about you as the coach, because I don't think you have to be an operator or experienced to be a great coach. Phil Jackson was, a, I mean, he played in the NBA, but he was a one of the best coaches of all time, Red Auerbach, one of the best NBA coaches of all time, probably not the best players like a sure. Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant, but Michael Jordan wasn't going to be a good coach. Right. You're a great tactician and a great coach, yeah. and you can provide that coaching for your, you know, your client base because of those two factors. Yeah. The fact that you know how to operate in times of good, and succeed. Mm -hmm. But you also, as you just said, you can handle the wartime. Yeah. And that's a, not everyone can do both. No. And I think that is what made me unique. And that is what makes my coaching programs successful. And I, I realize I charge an obscene amount for coaching, but people see that, okay. Like, Cause everyone's always watching bro with mm -hmm. social media and the internet. People are like, okay, this guy owns a franchise. He's been growing and posting about it all these years. 2020 is going to take him down. It's like, oh shit. He didn't go down in 2020. He didn't dilute his equity. Oh shit, he's growing again. Yep. Maybe I do need coaching from you. Here's my hundred grand. Yep. Right. And and that's, you know, the proof is in the pudding. If you've been in the trenches long enough and you can prove that you've done what is supposed to be done in a trench, people will pay you for that ability to time collapse for them. Well, and I think most people don't understand the power of coaching. Right. They don't realize that even the highest performers, the Michael Jordans, the LeBron James, they have coaches. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks has an acting coach. Yep. You know, Beyonce had a singing coach. Yep. Doesn't mean they can do it better than you, but they can collapse time. Yeah. They can also see from 30,000 feet because yes. they're not living it like you are. Outside eyes. Outside eyes. That Which fresh eyes. Yeah. And making sure that people pay you for your time, because I hear from a lot of my friends who have expensive coaching programs, but they're very successful and they can implement and develop individuals to get that level of success. Why should it cost a hundred grand? It should for two reasons. One, you're a premium product. Mm -hmm. That coaching program is unique. It's premium and I'm going to get so much success. But two, if it doesn't hurt a little bit to invest, they're not going to be a good student, right. which dilutes your, your brand. Yeah. And it's a quid pro quo that not enough customers of coaching understand. Correct. They think, Correct. well, why am I going to spend so much? If it doesn't sting a little bit, are you going to put forth the effort to get the results? Because you have to put forth the effort. Yeah. I can give you the map. Effort is required for results. Effort is required. Yeah. And when it stings a little bit and you realize like, okay, like if Ferraris were not expensive, everyone would have them mm -hmm. and it would no longer be the definition of success in the automobile Correct. industry, right? The value 
proposition would change. Hey, everybody. Looking for great insights? Entrepreneur.com's podcast network is the place for you. Check out podcasts like Problem Solvers and Smart Passive Income for smart advice. Hear true stories on how success happens, financial updates on dirty money, deep dives with Behind the Review, and food trends on restaurant influencers. And don't miss my new show. It's all at entrepreneur.com forward slash listen. Let's start our success journey today. Hey there, it's your host, Jeff Fenster, and I have something very exciting to share with you today. You know, here on the Jeff Fenster Show, we're all about growth, both personally and professionally. Speaking of growth, have you ever heard of Everbull? As the proud founder of Everbull, I can tell you firsthand that we're on a mission to help everyone unevolve, to live actively and eat stuff that's been around forever. Imagine stepping back into a world where everything you eat is fresh, nourishing, and packed with nutrients. At Everbowl, we've got you covered with our wide range of superfood bowls. But it's not just about the food. It's about a community of like-minded individuals who are determined to embrace a vibrant, fulfilling lifestyle. Join us on this journey as we redefine what it means to be healthy and active. So if you're ready to unevolve and be the best version of yourself, head over to everbowl.com and check out our menu. And you know, it's funny you say this too, because um, I realized in that time, like as, as even now I have coaches, but I could think of a time where I had Joel Weldon as a speaking coach. So I was just learning, starting to do speaking gigs. And at the time I'd speak for free. Like I'll pay <laughs> for my way to go, right? This is like early 2012, 2013. Like you want me to speak somewhere? I'm there. I'll pay for the way. I'll stay at the Motel 6, whatever. But I had Joe Weldon as a speaking coach, Frank Kern as a copywriting coach, and Joe Polish as a business coach. At one time, all three of them, I was paying all three of them. Um, I, I realized I grew up with a lot of trauma. Like I had a lot of trauma as a child growing up, and I realized it was a limiting factor in my relationship and my business and my personal development. I went and worked with a, uh, a psychologist, uh, Kevin Downing, out in Brea here, for 15 months straight. You know, like that's coaching. I wanted to time collapse my ability to learn jujitsu. So I didn't just go do jujitsu class. I hired a jujitsu instructor and I said, can you come and teach me three times a week in my gym? You and me, we just roll as hard and fast as we can. Mm -hmm. And like, we always need coaches. And I think people who think that you're supposed to be somehow born with this factory installed ability to figure out business, figure out your life, figure out your relationship, figure out health. Bro, I'm a fitness guy. And because I was so stressed out in 2012, 2013, trying to build the franchise, I put on like 30 pounds. I hired Darren Mailing, a personal trainer and nutrition coach. Mm -hmm. He taught me everything I know. Like like everything I knew, he would destruct. But the difference was I was being held accountable to some somebody. I had paid a premium to him. And so I did it and lost the 30 some odd pounds. Because imagine what a lousy representative of Fit Body Bootcamp I would be if I'm making selfie videos from the chin up because I didn't want to show <laughs> my physique because I had you know stress weight on, right? And so even as a fitness and nutrition guy, I hired a fitness and nutrition guy because the money stings, mm-hmm. like you said, and the human holds you accountable and you don't want to let down your coach. And so to not let him down, I'll get the results. And as I start getting the results, I'll love it so much, I'll start doing it for myself too. That's right. And I mean, I spoke, I was just speaking at WealthCon with Ryan Pineda and I'm on stage with his business coach. And here he is with an event over a thousand people, so much success, so many successful uh, businesses. And he brings on his business coach and pointing him out and saying, guys, I've had this as my business coach for 10 years because successful people have coaches mm-hmm. and non-successful people 
don't understand the power necessarily if they don't have coaching and mentors. They're just playing blind. Yeah. They're taking the very long way. It doesn't mean you won't be successful without a coach or a mentor, but you're stacking the odds. Right. There's a reason why when you see all the great in athletes and sports is the best analogy because it's, it's such an easy thing to ex- expose and look at. They all get coaching young. Yeah. Right? They've been coached by the best. And mm-hmm. they just collapse time the way you said it. They collapse time and increase the probability of success. Yeah. And, and how, help you. And how often has a good coach or mentor or, you know, now is like we've built our networks, right? Like made the right introduction. I could think of Joe Polish making several introductions, Frank Kern making several introductions, Dean Graciosi making several introductions. I've had so many great people that I've hired make introductions for me mm-hmm. and open doors for me. So it's not just what they tell you and teach you and the accountability factor, but they're connected and sometimes it's a pay-to-play business. Everything like it, is. Yeah. I, Life is. I tell people, they're, they're like, how do I connect with Dan Fleischman? You might want to come to Operation Black Site. You might want to come to one of his live events because when you come pay to play, he will give you more of his time. That's, that's just right. how it is. I mean, that's – we met on a stage at one of Dan's events. Yes. And we built a friendship from there. Yep. And we'll, maybe, maybe we do, maybe we don't do business, yeah. but we have access to each other's relationship network, yeah. access to each other's information, business acumen. And then you start to realize that these coaches and these mentors become your friends and you have access to their network. But what's great is – if you're my, if I hire you as my coach, you have other students. Mm. I'm going to get to access to them as well. Yep. And who knows what kind of synergies come from that? Right. Business deals, Business opportunities, deals. Yep. trials and tribulations, struggles. Yep. Hey, how are you dealing with? Mm-hmm. And now you're building a community that you didn't have before. So a lot of people who are like, well, I don't have, you know, I don't live in the West Coast. I live in Middle America without access to some of these great minds. Hire coaches. Yeah. Get That's access it. to the community. Yeah. So you talk about Operation Black Site which <clears throat> is an awesome event. Yeah. I think uh, I, was, I was at your last, well, I think your last one at the ranch. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I love what you guys are doing because this is a unique and different kind of mastermind. How would you sum it up in one sentence for those who maybe don't know what it is? Yeah, so Operation Black Side is if you're a patriot and you believe that as an entrepreneur, you also have the role and responsibility to be a protector and look after your family, your tribe, your people, male or female, then you want to come to Operation Black Site because not only do we do the mastermindings and bring some intelligent people like yourself and others to speak during the lunch breaks and dinner breaks, but then you've got like literally a Captain America, Tim Kennedy, teaching you how to use a pistol to defend yourself, right? And people are like, well, I don't have pistol experience. You can start exactly zero. I've never touched a pistol before. We've had many people come through Operation Black Site. They've never touched a pistol before. Tim Kennedy, Ray, who's a Navy SEAL, they are so good at working with you with the pellet gun first and elevating you to the to a real pistol. And then you've got Michael Chandler, one of the top UFC fighters right now, teaching you how to grapple and roll and jujitsu and moves and strikes that you could do to protect yourself. And then you've got Chris Weichman, who's a he was an Air Force Special Forces SEER instructor. I think SEER stands for survive, escape, resist, evade. So like if any of our top military dudes got caught behind enemy lines, how they could survive, escape, resist, evade. He teaches like entrepreneurs. And in fact, wasn't there some entrepreneur a couple of years ago, he kind of posted that he was at some party and then some dudes tried to kidnap him as he was leaving the party. And, and he had some f- famous website that he had started. But all this to say, like, imagine you get kidnapped, you're duct taped, you're in the back of a trunk. Like, how are you leaving breadcrumbs? How are you figuring out where I am? How do you get out of ropes, handcuffs, Duct tape. The duct tape thing was so fun. Wasn't that crazy? It was so cool. That you can break through a giant, thick amount of duct tape around your wrists and ankles, man. 
And so, and then as you're having so much fun doing all this networking with other mm -hmm. like-minded entrepreneurs, you realize, wait, at lunch, we've got Tim Grover speaking. What? At dinner, we got Sean Whalen and, and, and Jeff Fenster. Like what the hell? So you're, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. And not to mention the, the shoot house mm -hmm. where you're, you're traveling through a house with a, I don't know what kind of gun it was, but uh, a Glock 19 that shot a, yeah. a pellet. And you're yeah. now these are experiences that you hope to never deal with in real life, but you know when you if you ever do having some knowledge like I know how to get out of duct tape if you duct tape my wrist today. Right. I hope I never need it. Right. I hope I never need it. But it was such a cool experience to have it and to be around these high performers at two point these patriots these individuals that are killing it in life. And want to have more understanding and knowledge. And it was just a great event. It's one like I get to speak at a lot of events. I get to go to a lot of events. It's one of my favorite events. I've, I mean, I got to speak at an event and learn how to do all these fun things. Yeah. yeah I'm grappling yeah. with Michael Chandler. I mean. And who doesn't want to learn that? And, and they're all like they're vicious in their arenas. Like, you know, you take Ray the Navy SEAL and Tim Kennedy the Green Beret. And you're like, hey, there's some bad people who hate America. Like they will find ways to kill them 20 different ways. Yep. And they were just savages at it. But then you put them in front of these like awesome male and female entrepreneurs and they're cracking jokes and being lighthearted and having fun. And you're like, wow, okay, this is what learning to shoot a pistol is like. Well, this is fun. I could do this. And before you know it, by the end of the two-day experience, you're going through the shoot house and it's like a kill, no kill target. You know how, like, you know how to tell the difference. You know muzzle discipline. You know exactly how to swap out a new magazine. Mm -hmm. Just two days ago, you had no idea. Like, that is a good feeling. And the relationships that are built because you go through that with, I mean, hundred other people yeah and you get to have that experience together yeah that carries that carries man that's how friendships yeah. are, are formed in a matter of two days mm -hmm. exactly and you get exactly. these opportunities if you say yes and that's the key say yes, yes to the adventure say yes to the adventure and seek it out yeah and so i like to wrap with for my audience to really understand because i think everyone has a, group, a list of non-negotiables just in life you know i call them my success formula or my core values not everyone has them defined clearly but I'm just curious, you individually, do you have a set of non-negotiables just when you're going to attack a project, when you're in the storm? Do you have this innate list and are you clear on it or is it just kind of something that you you work through? Yeah, so I've got a very clear list of non-negotiables for me and that is that if it's not on my calendar for that day, I'm not doing it. It's real simple. I don't, I don't, I'm not the fly by the seat of the pants guy because I believe that to produce outcome, I have to have a predictable path and the predictable path comes from planning. And so myself and Joan, my assistant – have planned my calendar out you know, weeks, months ahead. And so one, I live by my calendar. Two, I tell myself, if it's a $1,000 or $2,000 an hour task or less, I won't do it. So I won't go to the grocery store. I don't fill up my car with gas. I don't get my cars washed. I don't go to the dry cleaner. I don't book my own flights. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't drive to the airport. Hugo does. Uh, all these things allow me. So there's these non, I don't pick up a phone call that's not scheduled to ring. So if it's my brother, my sister, someone, I'll call them later that night, but I don't, just pick up a phone call. I remember one time being at, at my son Andrew's soccer game. He, at the time, he's 18 now. He was 11 or 12 years old. Um, it's outdoors, soccer game. They're playing club soccer. One of the dad's phones rings. The dad picks, looks at the phone. You can tell like he doesn't recognize the number. His son is a forward on the soccer team. And he's like running with the ball, man, attacking the, the goal. He doesn't recognize the number. Yeah, what do I do? He answers. Now he's like, who? Wait, who is this? Where from? He's pacing back and forth now behind all the parents sitting. His son goes and scores a goal, looks towards dad, and dad's still trying to figure out who called him. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that who, I don't care if that was like Donald Trump on the call right there. 
the relationship value that was lost between that father and that son is going to take years to redevelop, right? And so to me, having non-negotiables is important. Same as date night. It's a non-negotiable. It's a Wednesday night with my wife and that's it because we're busy. We're highly focused. We're type A, tightly wound, high speed. If it's not on my calendar, it won't happen. So there is no, so when do you want to go on a date? The answer would be never, not because I don't love you. It's If it's not tied to production, mm-hmm. my personal value comes from production. So when I get sick, not only is the, like if I have a cold or a flu or whatever, not only am I getting beat up by the cold and the flu, but I'm still hating on myself because I'm like, I haven't produced anything today. I'm no value to society. I deserve to die. Like I'm that guy, yep. right? So date night, <laughs> like don't we dinner at home every night, right? But if it's on the calendar every Wednesday, like clockwork, it happens. Mm-hmm. And so I have my negotiables and also non-negotiables. I won't go hang out with friends that, that aren't married and don't have kids. You're probably going to want to do shit that I don't want to do, I shouldn't do, and that I'll regret if I do. Mm-hmm. And so to have those really keep, it's like those bumpers at a bowling alley that you drop down for your kid. I'll never end up in the gutter. I may not get a strike every time, but I'll never end up in the gutters. That's extremely well said. I like, I like that analogy. And I like that you have that. How would you simplify that to the entrepreneur or individual watching right now that doesn't have the resources to maybe get rid of those non, sure those tasks that maybe don't aren't productive? Yeah. So maybe for them, it's, if it's not $50, if, if I could pay someone $50 an hour or less or $20 an hour, like what is that app where you can buy groceries from? Um, Instacart. Instacart. Maybe if you're willing to pay, I don't know, a dollar more for a bushel of bananas and whatever. Well, I don't know how much more Instacart charges, but like we have Marlon, she goes and does the shopping for us. She's our house manager. And uh, But if you don't have that, use Instacart because do you really want to be driving to the grocery store, going to the grocery store? Rub yourself with all uh, with and with, with all these low intelligent people. No, no, nothing. No attack on them. It's just odds are they're not cut from the same cloth. They don't have the same ambitions as you do. You have a nine to five. They have a nine to five. You're trying to be an entrepreneur. You don't need to be interacting with them at all. So use Instacart. Have the food show up to you, and that extra thirty five minutes that you could have done at the grocery store. Write an email, a blog post, a. A, a caption, a, do a little more research on something that'll get you another client, another lead, another customer, another dollar in your bank account. And I think once you start realizing, you start doing, what are my values? Like, what do I value? I value freedom, sovereignty, being a free thinker, being a role model to my kids. Okay, so then am I going to do these low-level tasks? Am I going to avoid my workouts? No, I'm not. Like, because if I want to be a role model to my kids, I have to land, my plane lands. I text Andrew, my son, son, plane landed. We're going to work out at this time. Do you want me to pick you up or are you going to meet me there? I'll meet you there, dad. All right, great. Because if dad just goes home and goes, ah, what a tough travel day, mm-hmm. right? Then my son's going to be like, oh, so if I travel, I can't work out. That's right. No, you can do both. So you have to do both. You have to do both. You have to be a role model. That's a, that's a very high value uh, item to me. It's a non-negotiable that I don't. And so make your list of what, what you value and set your price. If it's less than this, then I won't do it. And maybe right now you are getting your car. You're washing your own car. You are gassing up your car, but you're using Instacart to get your food. So you're buying some time. You're buying back your time. And the def- and what I love about this is, because I talk a lot about the difference between activity <coughs> and strategic activity, because there's a major difference. A lot of people struggle because they feel like they're being active, but they're running in place. Mm-hmm. And you can run very fast in place and go nowhere. It's about strategic activity. Yeah. And you've clearly defined the difference that says, yes, I can go be busy yeah. and feel like I did a lot today. Yeah. Or I can be strategically active and get a lot done and be productive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes, obviously we all want to be in a position where $1,000 less, we don't do it. 
not everyone is there financially yet. Not everyone is there in their, in their life cycle. They might be 17, 18, 19 years old. Right. But you can find small micro ways to do it. Yeah. And that's the key, just like you've done over your career mm-hmm. as we just went through. And I think it's so powerful for all of you listening or watching to see someone who has achieved the amount of success that Bedros has it didn't start there. And he's had so many valleys and hills to climb and falling in the, in, the, in the dumps. And as he said, oh, my gosh, am I going to go back to living on my mom's couch with my wife and kids? No. And he became water and he kept moving and he kept finding and defining and continuously, as you said, pivoting, moving, pivoting, moving. What happens is you find success on mm-hmm. that journey. Yeah, well said. So, Pedro, I want to thank you so much for thank coming you, today. Brother. I mean, Appreciate I think it. for the audience, you're such an inspiration for me someone that I've looked up to as a, as a friend, but a privilege to get to know you and, and just feed off that energy because you really are all those things. You are the guy that you represent Thank online, you. on stage, off, off air. What people don't see, if they don't have that relationship with you, you truly embody it. Thank you. And so that's unique in today's environment and excited for all of the things you're doing. You are helping Americans. You are helping entrepreneurs. You're helping more people achieve success. So I just want to thank you again for coming down. This has been awesome. Jeff, that means a lot, man. And uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity. It's not lost on me that, you know, some great humans have sat behind this microphone and now I get to be one of them and I appreciate that opportunity. Well, thank you. Yeah. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking to level up your relationship capital game, then take a minute and text the word Jeff to 33777 for a free copy of my Network to Millions playbook. The link will also be provided in the show notes below. See you guys next time.